Welcome to Talking Property. Today I'm joined by Louis Christopher, Australia's best property analyst, as we discuss the second half of the 2021 Sydney property market. Louis, thanks for joining us. Nice to be with you once again, Peter. Louis, coming into 2021, your forecast for the Sydney housing market was that we'd experience somewhere between 7 and 11% growth, yeah. uh, which looks like a very gutsy call at the time. But funny enough, the market covered that in the first quarter of 2021. More or less, yes, that's right. I mean, we're, we're effectively yeah. up 12% for the first six months of the year. So the market's already at above or at the top of our forecast range. So it's, it's likely that we'll undershoot on, on the Sydney housing market for 2021. So how high can this market go, Louis? Well, on its current tempo, it's looking like the market could be rising at about 20% per annum, maybe a little bit more. So that's very strong growth right now, some of the strongest I've seen in my career. Uh, but, of course, that type of growth will not go on forever. Will regulators sit back and let that happen or can we expect intervention? I think if we see the market continue on at its present tempo, regulators will have to step in. Uh, and that may well be as soon as the end of this year or quarter four, 2021. We'll see. I mean, there were some signs that buyers were becoming cautious uh, in the June quarter. But based on the most recent indicators, it seems as though while they were cautious, they were still buying. Uh, and so it, it's still a red hot market as we speak. Um, and therefore, if the regulators do not step in, it's likely the second half of 2021 will be as hot as the first half. Well, Louis, uh, your firm is uh, known for its accurate uh, auction reporting. Let's take a look at that here today. What it shows us is that just prior to Easter, uh, the, the market was running extremely hot. Uh, we were seeing a lot more buyers and sellers. Now, since Easter, there's been a slight easing in demand, I think there's been a little bit more caution among buyers. But what it, the chart also shows is that volumes have been very strong. So buyers have been priced out, essentially. They'd like to buy, they want yes. to buy, but quite simply, given that 12% growth in the market, they've just been priced out from their desired product. Some buyers have been priced out. Yeah. Other buyers, they're still willing to buy. And there's, there's new buyers, namely investors, that have been coming in yep. and, and they've been taking up the slack. Uh, so, yes, there's been a slight easing in auction clearance rates. We've still got clearance rates effectively in the mid-60s. And on our numbers, that's still suggestive of a market that's moving forward. That's for sure. I want to zero in on that number mid-60s because all year the public have been told that auction clearance rates have been running at 80 90%. Yes. So why is the public being told that the auction clearance rate is consistently running at 80 90% on a Saturday night, yet on a Tuesday lunchtime you're telling us it's mid-60s? Well, we're talking about completely different methodologies. Um, and we've got probably a more conservative methodology where we monitor all advertising and how that advertising has actually changed after the auction day. Has that ad now showing a property has been sold or withdrawn or, or now has it got new property for inspection times indicating it, it didn't sell and it's still for sale. Uh, so, yes, what you see out there, of course, though, is a, a very often a very strong preliminary number put out by the major reporting bodies and then a few days later they revise their number, often down. Um, in fact, it's all the time. It's always revised down. So is that to suggest that Saturday night number that the media are grabbing hold of is a manipulated number? 
I'm not sure if it's actively, deliberately manipulated, but what we do know about that number is that it's regularly missing about 25% of the auctions that did take place. And out of that 25%, most of those auctions are actually failed campaigns. Mm. They passed in on the day. And we're capturing those auctions. So we're I'm getting I'm going to run with manipulated, Louis. I know you're too much of a gentleman to say so, but if 25% of results go missing and the vast majority of those are failed campaigns, that for mine is a manipulated <clears> number. Let's say it's a problem. Yeah. And yeah. it's not right to have a situation where the public's been told the clearance rate's at 90% when reality, the clearance rate's actually in the 60s. You're telling us off air that you've noticed a third player coming into the space whose market share is growing as far as real estate advertising goes, and their presence in the market is, is, is so big now that you actually, as a data provider, you can't ignore their presence. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's, that's homely.com.au. We're seeing a lot more listings running through Homely now. I think they're gaining market share. They've become a third contender in the marketplace, they're becoming stronger. We're now seeing listings on homely.com.au that we're not seeing on the other uh, reporting sites or the other listing sites. Interesting. Why would that be, Louis? I think it's got very much to do with the fees that the, the major listers charge. Uh, it's got to the point where agents can't stand it anymore, consumers can't stand it anymore. Um, Homely, of course, has got a completely different revenue model altogether. And look, you know, just a, a disclosure here, I've got nothing to do with Homely. I've, they're not yes. paying us any money. I don't really know them. We monitor what they've got on their website and we compare that against the other listing sites. And I'm telling you now, their market share is definitely increasing. So real estate agents and consumers are looking for a cheaper vehicle in which to communicate with the buyers. Absolutely. And why wouldn't they? It's the internet after all. Uh, Louis, you talk about uh, 20% growth being possible given the current trajectory. Are we seeing any signs in the marketplace where the price differential between housing and apartments is so wide that suddenly buyers are switching across to apartments for relative value? We might be seeing that in outer regional uh, Australia and in outer suburban capital cities in Sydney and Melbourne. <clears throat> We're definitely not seeing it in the CBDs. It's still very much a, a buyer's market where I think prices are falling in our CBDs, particularly Sydney and Melbourne for units. So do you think houses will still continue to comfortably outperform apartments in the second half of 2021? I think we will see that. Now, we may well get to the point in time where the price differential is just so much that, that buyers cannot ignore it. All they, all, all they can afford is a unit to get into the marketplace. And is that, is that line psychological or is it fundamental as to when buyers will switch? I think it's more psychological. Um, that's a day buyers still have options. I mean, hey, Sydney freestanding houses have always been expensive and increasingly so. How buyers have responded in this cycle is that they've bought in regional Australia. So they still want to buy a house over a unit, but what they will do is they'll buy in outer regional Australia as opposed to buying a Sydney house. Of course, those with deep pockets can buy the Sydney houses, as we all know, and that's the reason why the market's been rising. But yeah, it's the movement towards regional Australia, which is being the big difference in this cycle over other cycles that I've seen in my career. Have you got any numbers or any sense on how townhouses, which are like the Goldilocks solution between a unit and a house, how, how townhouses uh, have performed and will continue to perform? As an analyst that focuses in on the data, the, the issue with townhouses from a researcher's side is that there's not enough sample data to make the call, uh, just calling it straight. 
Now, I can tell you terraces have been doing well, so we've got enough information on terraces, and we think that they've been doing rather well. Uh, but anything that's strata-related, less so. Louis, through this whole pandemic, we've noticed uh, baby boomers have been rearranging their affairs. They've been selling, you know, anecdotally, <clears throat> their large family home to downsize into a lifestyle property, whether that lifestyle property is a, an apartment on the harbour uh, in Sydney or whether they have been going regional or to the Gold Coast, as you've outlined. What role are baby boomers uh, who are rearranging their affairs playing in, in the market at the moment? Well, firstly, I've got to say, Peter, if you follow Twitter, the X generation is now regarded as baby boomers. This is the funny thing, you know. Yes. Any, any, anyone that's older than the millennials is regarded as a baby boomer. I protest that, <laughs> Yeah, I know, so do I, right? Uh, so, yeah, going back to the question, uh, yes, there's no question the actual baby boomers have been downsizing, downsizing for quite some time. And the, the average age for a baby boomer now is somewhere in their early 70s. Uh, so, yes, they are, they are downsizing. They have been for a number of years now. They're looking at aged care facilities. Some of them, of course, are still looking at units. I think uh, with the potential change in stamp duty and land taxes in New South Wales that we may well see this year, we may see even more of this movement uh, because uh, baby boomers will feel that they, they can actually do a transaction without a lot of transactional costs. A baby boomer who's just sold and he's mm. downsizing is a formidable bidder to run up against in the marketplace if you are buying. If you are buying, but the baby boomers are not buying large freestanding houses, Peter. You know, yeah. If they're going to downsize to something that's not an aged care facility, they're buying a unit. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, we know, as discussed, units are still relatively weak. This cuts to one of Harry Dent's philosophies that there won't be, demographically, there won't be a big enough marketplace to absorb the sell-down of assets, i.e. large family homes, from baby boomers. Do you think there's a lack of demand there with too much supply coming as baby boomers sell down, or that's a misnomer? I think it's increasingly becoming a misnomer. I can understand the general point of view, though I'm cautious about anything Harry's got to say. Um, but, yeah, there, there's been... A, with COVID, I think there's been a fundamental change in underlying demand for certain property types. Um, and it goes back to the fact that people are looking for larger properties uh, where they can work from home. They're looking for areas where they're a bit away from other people. Um, and, you know, they're also been looking for a bit of a lifestyle change. Astronomical gains in the property market, as we all know, um, largely driven by overstimulus from the government and the RBA. Buyers and sellers are quite rightly asking themselves, heading into 2022, can the market hold on to these gains or should we expect a correction at some stage? Well, usually the stronger the boom, the stronger the bust, right? Um, now, we're cautious. So I think if the market runs, continually runs, and I do think the market's a bit overheated, if it continually runs overheated, uh, then it's going to be a real challenge for policymakers to, to try and slow the market down. And there is a chance that they could overreact and we have a larger correction. The notion is be cautious, uh, particularly for, the say, the Sydney freestanding market, be especially cautious in regional Australia. This is one issue here that at least we don't have in Sydney is the, the liquidity issue. Because sooner or later, the market will turn. I cannot tell you exactly when it's going to turn. Maybe we can have a good stab at turns of looking at the triggers that could create that turn. But sooner or later, it will turn. 
And in regional Australia, when it turns in there, you're going to have an issue where it's not that the buyers are, there's less buyers. In some towns, there'll be no buyers at all. We've seen this in the past, and that's they'll go the back one to their long-term risk. average. They'll go back to the long-term average. We've seen this with mining towns. We will have a downturn sooner or later. For now, we're not having that downturn. What would trigger it? APRA intervening in the market, a rise in interest rates over and above the inflation rate, or some type of external economic shock that we, we weren't prepared for. Uh, Louis, mortgage rates have plummeted, mm. uh, yet prices, uh, as we know, have boomed. Yes. What has that done to housing affordability, the ability to service a mortgage? When we consider the ability to service a mortgage, not too much has actually changed because interest rates have come off so much now. I mean, you know, the, the average variable lending rate for an owner-occupier is somewhere between 25 to 2.75% if you're on reasonable credit. That's considerably lower compared to where we were, say, 10 years ago. So in terms of serviceability, we're actually at reasonably good levels. But if we were to compare, say, housing prices to rents or incomes, well, we're at near all-time lows. And so that is concerning. But it's that first point that you raise, the serviceability that's got the market running happily on the metrics that it is. Would that be a fair statement? Absolutely. Uh, that combined with the fact that there has been uh, a little bit of a loosening in terms of credit standards. You may recall, of course, lending responsibility going back off the banks now, more back onto the borrowers once again. And I think now we're seeing more investors in the marketplace. Yeah, that, that could be the trigger for APRA to say, all right, well, we know how to deal with investor activity. Um, which won't hit owner-occupier activity, will just put some restrictions on investment lending, as what they did in 2015 to 2017. I could easily see that play out again. And which regions in Sydney do you think will do the best in the second half of 2021, Louis? I think the current trend of outer regional living is going to be with us for the second half of 2021. Um, it'll be with us until such time, I think, that we see the international border open once again. So I'm expecting our performance in the areas such as the Blue Mountains, Sydney's Northwest, uh, Sydney's Southwest. Now, that all said, of course, we've seen strong performance in the middle ring and the inner ring for freestanding houses as well. And that will continue. There's been strong momentum for affluent real estate. There's no question we've seen records broken uh, for really up there prestige real estate. And that's normally a sign of a strong economy as well. I don't see that changing anytime soon unless we see one of these triggers come along. And it's also good to point out, I think, that that's not a Sydney phenomenon, it's not an Australian phenomenon, that's actually a global issue, isn't it, where quality real estate markets globally have boomed through this pandemic. We are part of a global property boom right now. We're seeing booming prices in Western Europe, we're seeing booming prices in the United States, in England, We've seen it in New Zealand. They've now put restrictions on the Kiwi housing market. Uh, we've seen it in a lot of Asia as well. That concerns me because what that tells me is that, OK, this boom isn't because of something underlying in terms of underlying demand. This has got to do with the easing of credit. The one thing that's occurred across the world, especially um, the developed world, is the cuts in interest rates. Uh, and a focus on easier lending towards housing. Uh, and that's underlined by serviceability hasn't really moved on the mortgage 
borrower. No. So therefore, regulators are taking comfort in that point, saying this is sustainable <clears throat> if rates are lower for longer. Correct. Now, looking further forward, when we sort of think about what could happen, I'd say the regulators will be very careful about intervening too hard into the marketplace unless they panic because they've been looking to the property market to, to stimulate the rest of the economy. So if they hit the property market too hard, they know what that means for the rest of the economy. We also know, and banks have said, central banks have said this themselves, they wish to get behind the curve on inflation. They want to see a little bit more inflation out there. So I think central banks around the world will be very cautious about lifting interest rates until inflation is well and truly on the board. So it's going to be very interesting. Uh, Louis, a lot of home buyers who were looking to buy last Christmas and uh, still on the sidelines for whatever reason are now looking at the market and what has happened and saying, do we wait or do we jump in? What advice do you have for those home buyers in closing today? Oh, look, that's really hard when you look at the personal level. It boils down to everybody's personal financial advice. I would only say for home buyers that have got a long-term view of the world that, look, it's very hard to time the market. And you should get in when your budgets are right, when you're ready to get in personally, whether it's because of a family. Go for it. Try and avoid timing the market. For investors, timing's a little bit more important. There's no question about that. So, Louis, just uh, in summary, uh, what in percentage terms do you think will happen with houses and apartments respectively as we head towards the end of the year? Well, I think we're on a current tempo of 20% per annum for Sydney. Uh, so it's likely we will finish the year up 20% now unless we see early intervention by APRA. When it comes to units, units have definitely been underperforming. I think that will continue. We've discussed the reasons why. So if we get, say, 5 to 8% out of units, I think our unit holders will be very happy with that. Uh, houses have obviously skyrocketed this year, but at the start of 2021, if you said to an apartment owner that your apartment's going to rise... 8% this year. I think most would have been pretty happy with that by the same token. They would have. Now, I want to clarify that, right? I'm not expecting that type of growth in the CBD. Yes. Uh, so we're, we're yeah. talking about suburban units, less so the CBD. There's still a major oversupply issue there. Be careful in the CBD. My word. Outstanding information today, Louis. Thanks for joining us as always. Thank you, Peter. And thank you for joining us today on Talking Property. We look forward to speaking to you next time.